Oh, my. Wasn't that great? Good morning, everyone. You know, the video points out actually quite accurately that there's a whole lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the subject of fasting. I mean, there's hidden motives and twisted ideas and frankly, quite a lot of fear that goes along with it. And I would include myself in that category as well. You know, um, you can take and turn off my TV. You can restrict me from the computer. You can throw away all my music, but ask me to stop eating for a few days and all of you just start to look like food to me. I mean, it's scary. (laughs) For many Christians, you know, fasting becomes the equivalent of shaving your head and sleeping on a bed of nails and walking across a path of hot coals in your bare feet. There's just something about it that just scares us to death. And so in order to clear up some of the muddy waters of all of this issue, I'd like to define what fasting is. So what is fasting? Well, fasting is choosing to abstain from food, drink, or other things in order to draw close to God. Now, that all sounds really good, right? It actually sounds quite noble. But if you've tried it, you probably know as well as I do that it's just not quite as simple as that. It can be a trial. But like most of the worthwhile things in life, great effort for great things produces great rewards. And so let's get into it and talk about fasting. Why should we fast? Well, the first reason is this, that Jesus expects us to fast. He'll expect that we will fast. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Pastor Ron read this as our key verse for the morning. Jesus says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, and so people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they'll ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting, except for your father, who knows what you do in private. And look at this, he says, and your father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, notice that Jesus didn't say, if you fast, but he said, when you fast. You see, Jesus expects that we, like the other godly men and women throughout the ages, will turn to God through prayer and fasting and seek his face. And if we want to be like Jesus, we're going to follow Jesus' example. And Jesus fasted. A second reason is this, that fasting kills our hunger for the unimportant. We live in this fast-paced, crazy world that's so full of distractions and noise and mindless entertainment and trivial pursuits. There's simply no room for God to fill the place in our heart that He's meant to fill. See, the rule of our culture is that we would fulfill our every desire and never deny ourselves. You know, we hear these messages that say, just do it. Obey your thirst. You deserve a break today. I mean, give me a break, right? (laughs) See, the problem with this is that the path to God is not found on the road to self-fulfillment. Self-obsession kills our intimacy with God. Intimacy with God is all about putting Him first and not ourselves. And without intimacy with God, we start to believe the lie of our own self-importance, and our life becomes temporal instead of eternal. It becomes fearful instead of faithful, and it becomes trivial instead of powerful. There is so much 
of a higher calling that we were made for. And the Apostle Paul gets at this in the book of Colossians, and he says this in Colossians 1, 15 and 16. It says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through him and for him. You know, just as Pastor Rick Warren wrote in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, the first line says this, it's not about you. (laughs) You see, the series Rhythms is all about us taking and carving out and making space for God so that he can come in and speak to us and work in us and transform us into the people that he created us to be. And if we don't seize that time, what happens is that all the trivial things of life just crowd in and push God out of our life. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus tells us that following him isn't about pursuing our own personal passions and desires. Rather, he says we should deny them. He says that less is more and that we ought to empty ourselves so that God can fill us. Fasting is about withdrawing from all these things that saturate and dominate us and so that we can create in our heart, in our soul, a deep hunger for God. The motive for fasting is always intimacy with God. Now, there's a main point that I want you uh, to remember, and that's this, that when we truly hunger for God, nothing else satisfies. See, so many times we don't feel any spiritual hunger in our life, no spiritual craving for God, because we fill our lives with the equivalent of spiritual junk food. (laughs) We feel bloated but never satisfied. Only a heart that's saturated with the grace and love of God can fully rest and feel fulfilled. And that is something that is truly worth hungering for. You know, we don't generally hear a whole lot about fasting. It's not in our regular conversation. But the amazing thing about fasting is it's all over the pages of Scripture. As you flip through, you'll see it several times. It's mentioned actually more than 74 times in the Bible, 30 times in the New Testament alone. And so I thought I'd share with you some examples of people who prayed and fasted to seek God's face. See, Moses fasted on Mount Sinai to meet with God, and he came back glowing with the glory of Yahweh all over his face and bringing guidance to God's people. Hannah fasted so that she might have a son, and the prophet Samuel was born. Daniel fasted when he was thrown into the lion's den, and the lions lost their appetite. David fasted as he ran for his life, and God made him strong enough to lead a nation. Esther fasted, and the people of Israel were spared from total annihilation. John the Baptist fasted, and God used him to prepare the way for Messiah, the Savior of the world. Paul fasted after his encounter on the road to Damascus, and God gave him a completely new path and purpose for his life. 
And in the book of Acts, we see the early church fasted and prayed, and God appointed messengers to spread the good news of salvation throughout the whole world. Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, Mother Teresa, these are just a few of the godly men and women who had a regular rhythm of prayer and fasting in their life, and we see that God used their lives to do something glorious for His kingdom because they made themselves available to Him. Now, I want to be clear that prayer and fasting isn't about getting God to love us more, (laughs) and it's not about getting God to do what we want to do. The purpose of fasting is to present our hearts completely to God to be deeply and intimately connected to Him. And we show God in a very practical way that knowing Him is more important than our own comfort. Clear out all the clutter. Put Him front and center and desire Him, worship Him, adore Him. And the more intimately we become connected to Him, the more we see Him move in us and through us and around us. And I believe that God is capable of just about anything if we would just trust Him and draw near to His heart. So there are some specific motives as to how God's people drew their hearts near to God. And I want to start with the first one, and that's to express humility and repentance. Humility and repentance. You see, in times when our heart is strayed and we become callous or we've sinned, fasting Fasting can be a very powerful act to reconnect our hearts with God. Perhaps you remember uh, in 2 Samuel 12, David, after he's confronted by the prophet Samuel for his adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, David falls down before God on his face. He refuses to eat, and he prays, and he seeks God to get straight with God again. And in the book of Jonah, there's something very interesting and unexpected that happens. As the prophet Jonah goes to speak to this very evil people, the Ninevites, that were known for their cruelty, and he pronounces God's judgment to them, and something very fascinating happens. So in Jonah 3, 1 to 10, it says this, on the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And then look at their response here in verses 5 and 6. It says that the people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king and his nobles sent this decree through the whole city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. They didn't even let the animals eat. (laughs) People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. And who can tell? Perhaps even God yet will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And it says this, when God saw what they had done and how they'd put a stop to their evil ways, He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. So here's Jonah. (laughs) He's fresh out of the belly of this giant fish, covered with slime. He smelled like fish, pasty, all skin, the whole bit. And he's just ready to deliver God's message of wrath 
stirred up God's theory, the evil Ninevites. He's ready to give it to them. And the response of the people is complete repentance and brokenness before God. And he evokes the grace of God. You see, fasting for us can be a very tangible way for us to demonstrate that our hearts are truly broken and that our repentance is sincere. The second thing is to seek God's deliverance and protection. There are times in life when we face a desperate situation where there's no way out and it seems that there's no answers except for God's divine intervention. Some of us here are facing a time like that right now. And fasting is a way to express our complete dependence on God to deliver us. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat faced a similar situation. It says that the neighboring nations around Israel were all joining together to defeat Israel. Jehoshaphat is the king. And this is his response in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 2 through 6. It says, messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Eden is marching toward you from beyond the Dead Sea. They're already at Hazan Tamar. Now notice their response in verses 3 and 4. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. And he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all of the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. And Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord, and he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who's in heaven. You're ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. You're powerful and mighty, and no one can stand against you. And as they fasted and prayed and sought God, something miraculous happened. You see, the people of Israel didn't even have to lift a sword to defend themselves. That these armies that were converging against them fought against themselves, and God made it very clear that He was their deliverer. We see a similar situation in the fourth chapter of the book of Esther. As Queen Esther, you know, she's getting ready to go before King Xerxes, and she's risking her life in doing so. And she calls upon the people of God to pray with her and to fast and to seek God's deliverance. And sure enough, in a miraculous way, God delivered them with power. Jesus faced his biggest challenges in life with prayer and fasting. And he was given strength to overcome Satan's temptations in the wilderness. And he was given grace to take the path to the cross. And I imagine if, if we were to sit down together at a table over a cup of coffee and really get real with one another, I think that many of us would admit that there are sins and habits and addictions that have crippled us and overcome us, and we grieve over them and seek deliverance. Over the ages, many men and women of God have found deliverance from temptation and sin through the practice of prayer and fasting and seeking God. The third is this, and that's to seek God's strength and direction. His strength and direction. See, when we fast, our, our spirits are focused. They're more in tune to hear God's voice, hear what He's saying to us. And this makes us able to receive and hear His guidance and direction for our lives. And we see this 
evidenced in the book of Acts. The early churches gathered together, and quite frankly, Jesus has gone to heaven. They don't know what they're doing. They're seeking God's direction. And this beautiful passage in Acts chapter 13, it tells us this. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menen, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these three men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit, and they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and sailed for the island of Cyprus. Now we can read that and miss the incredible significance of it. So I love what John Piper, uh, Pastor John Piper says about this. He gives this insight into this moment. He says, you see, before this word from the Holy Spirit, there seems to have been no organized mission of the church beyond the eastern seacoast of the Mediterranean. Before this moment, Paul had made no missionary journeys westward to Asia Minor, to Greece, to Rome, or to Spain. Before this, Paul had not written any of his letters, which were all the result of his missionary travels, beginning here. This moment of prayer and fasting resulted in a missions movement that would make Christianity the dominant religion of the Roman Empire within two and a half centuries and would yield 1.3 billion adherents of the Christian religion today with Christian witness in virtually every country of the world. 13 of 29 books of the New Testament were the result of the ministry that was launched in this one moment of prayer and fasting. It was an amazing moment when God chose to act. You see, when we don't know the right decision to make, fasting can help us discover God's wisdom. And when we know the right thing to do, but we lack the courage and energy and strength to do it, then fasting can help us experience more of God's power in our life. The fourth is to express love and worship to God. One of the most important reasons to fast is simply out of love and devotion to God. You remember Mary and Joseph, when they brought the baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, they ran across two devoted servants of God. The first was named Simeon. The second, her name was Anna. In Luke chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, tell us this about Anna. Now, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phineuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband had died when they'd been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child, everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So here's Anna, and she'd lost her husband, and she'd made the Lord her God her greatest treasure and love. And she expressed her worship to him through prayer and through fasting. And I don't think that it was any mistake that God made it a point to share the blessing of meeting the Christ child with his beloved Anna. 
You see, fasting is an expression of love and devotion. It's the purest form of this practice. There's no expectation. There's no anticipation. It's just pure devotion. And it's hard for me to believe that God just doesn't delight in that. So I want to talk about a few practical matters when it comes to fasting. How do we fast? So there are four different types of fasting that we see in the Bible. The first one is a normal fast. And what that is, is that we would go without food and drink only water or perhaps juice or broth. And the purpose of that, again, is to abstain from food in order to create a hunger for God and let God fill that space for us. The second is an absolute fast. And that would be fasting from both food and water. And that would be for a shorter period of time. And we see this reflected as a you know, sort of an act of desperation when we looked at the book of Jonah and also of Esther. And then there's something called a modified fast. And that's where we modify our diet or our lifestyle. And we see that Daniel is a good example of that. When Daniel fasted and ate just vegetables and water. And a modified fast can really kind of symbolize the spirit of the principle that fasting is not just about connecting with God, but also disconnecting from the things that keep us from God. And so there may be certain types of things that crowd in and rule or take control over our life. Maybe certain types of food, you know. Um, I've mentioned to you that I have this addiction to sweets and, and cookies and things like that. And we also have other things that may be coffees or other types of things. Or it may be that we withdraw from certain activities or things that just the noise that creates our life or things that dominate us, like our computer or our cell phone or certain activities that we do that dominate our time. You know, my experience with with fasting is that there's almost like this, as I'm beginning a hunger fast or something from food, there's almost this desire in me just to kind of calm down the noise in my life, you know? The one thing I can hear loud and clear, though, is the rumbling in my stomach, (laughs) And then there's the corporate fast. And a corporate fast is joining God's people in a unified fast together. And we see this several places in Scripture, in Joel and Nehemiah and the book of Acts. And as we mentioned before, some of the most powerful movements of God are when the people of God come together to seek His face, to seek His direction, and pray for His will. So I think it's important to kind of also mention a few quick tips as, as, as to how we fast. The first, you may have to kind of jot this on the side of your notes is one, to prepare spiritually, to consider confessing sin, to consider forgiving others, and asking the Holy Spirit if there's something in your life that He wants to shine the light on and begin to change. The second is prepare physically. You can prepare your body for a fast um, by eating lightly beforehand and also at the end of of a food fast. And I'd like to point out that if you have any medical conditions, um, it could be diabetes or uh, issues with food or you're taking certain, medica- certain medications. You want to make sure that you check with your doctor. It's very important. And perhaps not a food fast isn't appropriate, but maybe abstaining from some type of media or activity would help you again to connect with God. Third is to plan for your fast, and that's what type of you know, fast will you do and for how long. It's best to really start small you know, with this type of thing. Maybe you skip a meal. Or perhaps it's very traditional to go from sunup to sundown and to fast during that time. But to decide, it's very important to decide beforehand, what are you going to do in that time that you spend with God? Carve out that time and decide, what are you going to do? Because it will set you up for success. 
and then you begin your fast. And make sure that you drink plenty of liquid and use that time that you would eat to pray and to worship and maybe journal what God is teaching you and just enjoy God. Or consider every task of your day is sacred to the Lord. Now remember, fasting takes practice. I, I think it's, for me, it's a lot like starting a new workout routine, you know, where you get all pumped up and excited about it, and then you get started and you think you're going to die. <laughs> and then you got to push through it, and then when you do, you begin to feel the rhythm and momentum of it, and then it becomes a blessing in your life. So here's my final challenge to you, and we're going to call this the 28-day fasting challenge. Pastor Ron mentioned that we have a special challenge this week, and that's this. It's to come together as a church in a corporate fast for the next 28 days for two reasons. One, to deepen our relationship with God, and second, to seek God's plan and purpose for our church as we begin this third decade of ministry to Nevada County and around the world. We'd like to join together for the next 28 days, which would start tomorrow and then end in February 26th, which is the day of our 20th anniversary celebration where we can come together and celebrate. Let's ask God to clarify the vision and mission of Twin Cities Church and our own involvement in that mission as we love God and love people and serve our world together. You see at the very bottom of your message notes, I, I put a little thing where you can check to say, I'm in. I'm in for this challenge. And the application of this is maybe to pick a day when you would choose to fast or, or perhaps pick some type of of modification of your daily diet or your lifestyle to set it apart for the next 28 days. I personally have some things that I'm adding to the corporate challenge for my own personal life, and I would encourage you to consider that maybe as well. And as we fast and put ourselves in dependence upon God, may we realize that everything that we have is from God. Everything we are, everything is from God our Father. He is our everything. And as we enjoy this closing song, I pray that God might begin to stir deep within us a deep hunger for Him. Be my everything, 
thirst for you, a desire to put you first in all things, just as you deserve to be. Lord, we just empty ourselves before you. We invite you, God, to do a powerful work in our lives and in the lives of our church so we could see, God, your glory spill out, flow out, flood this whole place, God, with your glory. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.